Hi, folks. This is Michael, and welcome to the Blood Walk. Uh, you know, I want to tell you a little story that, uh, and this also took place in 2014, and this was uh, maybe two months after the uh, the visit to the Tree of Life. And uh, what was going on here is uh, I'd had a complaint for several years, and it's kind of like eventually you get to the point where it's put up or shut up. All right. So here was my complaint, and it had to do with the government of the U.S. And it, uh, like I say, this was during the Obama years. How can you see that government as anything else but a manifestation of the beast, right? <laughs> okay. All right. So my complaint was this. Why are we feeding the beast? Why do we keep feeding this beast? Every time we feed this dang thing, man, it turns around and it wants to kill us, right? Why do we keep feeding this thing? And by feeding it, I meant, why do we keep paying tax dollars to a government that has nothing more in their heart and in their mind than to kill its own people? I mean, you just take a look at what's going on right now, man. They are in full-blown genocide mode to the middle class, right? They are out to kill us. Why in the world do we keep feeding this thing? You know, why do we keep paying tax dollars? Why isn't there a tax revolt, right? So I'm going on and on and on like this, and I've been, been, you know, bitching and moaning about this for years, right? So here we go. Strengthen not the hands of evildoers. This always accompanied my complaint. Strengthen not the hands of evildoers. All right, so we get to this point here in 2014, and it's time to pay taxes, all right? Uh now, my wife, I, I had explained this. I don't know if I'd explained it very well, but in 2012, my wife had a, had a terrible stroke, and uh, and she lost dang near everything. Uh, this thing hit her hard, in the, obviously, but she lost the ability to speak for uh, several months. She, uh, she was somewhat paralyzed all down to her right side, uh, and it was, you know, she lost it, it, anything that she had that could be considered a, a, a gift, a talent, whatever, for, for research, for studying the Word. She lost all of it. She was just dumb. And she ended up bedridden for eight long years. And, uh, you know, she was just, for most of that time, she was in enormous pain. You know, I mean, I, I, I tell you, it was almost daily where I would see her clenching her feet, her, her fist and, you know, and clamping down hard in her jaws to, you know, to fight back the tears because the pain was so bad. And I didn't mean to go down this, this track on that, but I wanted to explain to you where she was at. All right. So when it came time for me, right, to, uh, well, to apply you know, strengthen not the hands of evildoers. And the only way I knew to do that was to refuse to pay my taxes. So I shared this with my wife. She was not really in a position to where she could understand anything I was saying, but, you know, we're a couple. And I had to share with her what my plans were. So uh, anyway, so anyway, I told her, I said, uh, honey, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to pay my taxes. I cannot sit here and be a hypocrite. You know, how can I sit there and moan and groan and complain and then turn right around and do the thing that I'm complaining about? That makes me a hypocrite. I just can't do it anymore. And uh, like I say, my, 
my poor Baba, man, she'd had this stroke and she didn't fully understand, you know, the implications of the things I was saying. She had just lost all of that. So we went around and around and around and around with this thing. And, uh, and here's the deal, folks. If, if you know, if, if your spouse, oh gosh, you cannot afford for their sake to get into a, a hot argument. You just can't. You can't afford to allow their tempers to fly because the last thing you want to do is drive that blood pressure up and put them into stroke territory, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like you do have to learn, in a sense, to walk on eggshells because you just don't want to You don't want to trip that thing. It's a terrible thing. Gas strokes are terrible. Anyway, so uh, so we went around and around and around with this. And... Uh, and, 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 you know, she was resisting pretty good. So I had to pull back and say, oh, i got to pray about this. So I did. And uh, and the Holy Spirit really, in a, in a neat way, just let me know, Michael, this word came to you. I didn't give this word to Teresa. I gave it to you. It's incumbent upon you to obey. So I'm like, okay, all right. So this is what I did. I was... You know, I got to tell you, I was, I, I was ticked. I was a little furious, right? And uh, but what I did was, I figured the only way I can do this is to sign everything that I own, and I did. You know, everything that I own, all my estate, all my finances, everything. I wrote it down on a piece of paper, and I put it all into my wife's hands, all of it, to where I owned nothing. And I said, "Okay, honey, this is your estate now. This is this this is this all belongs to you now. If you want to pay taxes on that, that's your business. But I own nothing now, and I am not going to pay my taxes." So, like I say, I was, you know, I was feeling kind of intense inside. So uh, anyway, uh, so I, I as as I turned to walk away from this conversation, all of a sudden, in my solar plexus. I see a pearl is instantaneously formed. All right, instantaneously formed. A pearl about, I don't know, man, it was about maybe half an inch, three quarters of an inch wide in in diameter. And it formed right behind my solar plexus. And it formed around this thing that I saw. and, And the Holy Spirit said this was the stinger of death, the sting of death. And I saw this thing, man. It was like this little black, uh, like this little black stinger, man. It was about a quarter of an inch, and it was like located right right behind the solar plexus. So I see this pearl formed like that. That stinger of death is like the grit of an oyster. You know that uh, when an oyster gets a little grit in its shell, that's what the pearl forms around, right? Well, with this pearl that I saw formed behind my solar plexus, it was around that stinger of death, like that stinger of death was the grit, and the pearl formed around it, and this all took place very quickly, like I say, man, when things happen like this in the spirit, it's, you know, it, it, it's like a split second, right, and boom, you see it, and, and I was stunned, because I'll tell you what, folks, I'll tell you what, truly, it had never occurred to me that the pearl of great price that Yahshua was referring to was literal. I, 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 you know, but I saw it. I saw it where it was formed. And uh, anyway, so uh, I wanted to share that with you real quick to say, man, I tell you what, there are things coming from the Holy Spirit at this time that 
that folks haven't seen for 2,000 years, right? That, that some things haven't been seen for 6,000 years. And there are things that God is doing right now that he is blowing people away because the rewards are beginning to happen. Okay, let me shift gears here just a little bit. And uh, I want to bring this out to you just as a just as a concept for you to just think about. All right. Now then, go to the book of Revelation, and you have the seven churches there. Have you ever, have you ever at any time gone before God and said, Heavenly Father, which one of these churches am I in? All right. And I do believe that is exceedingly necessary for uh, for the followers of Yahshua. That is a question that really needs to be asked so that, it, say, for example, if he says, well, you're in Thyatira. All right. Well, now you know what has been put before you to overcome. Or if he says, uh, you know, you're in Sardis. Well, this is what has been put before you to overcome. And, and I'll tell you something. Uh, back in the testimony, when I was telling you about this church that I went to in the uh, south end of Seattle, right in a town called Burien, the church was called Community Chapel. Well, when this thing finally split and fell, and everybody ended up going their own way, right? Well, whichever way the Holy Spirit was leading them. But this is the word that kept coming to me. There are some in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. There are some in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And so I began to realize just from that word that had come that, oh my gosh, this church, Community Chapel, which had a reputation for being alive, but was actually dead because they'd fallen into sin. You know, praise and worship looked fantastic, right? The dancing was incredible. However, the church had fallen into sin and they died, right? And many, many people, many people in that church ended up committing adultery and having, uh, you know, horrific sexual sins. And they they defiled themselves. And it was tragic because these, these were good people. But man, I tell you what, I tell you what. Good people can take one whale of a tumble, you know, and never see it coming. But anyway, so back to these seven churches in Revelation. And that, uh, as I was saying, guys, the rewards are beginning to drop. The rewards are beginning to manifest, okay? So if, if, if I were you, I would find it incumbent upon myself to find out which church I'm in. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, you want to be the overcomer. <laughs> Obviously, you want to be that because, you see, the folks that overcome in these seven churches, this is the army that is fighting the great red dragon. You want to be in that battle, people. You want to be in that battle against the great red dragon, and I'll tell you why. Because the reward for the folks that enter into that battle, the reward for the folks that the Holy Spirit has chosen to fight that battle are also right there in Revelation 12, right? When it says, now is salvation come. Now. So understand that, people, that what stands between you and the literal manifested salvation of God is the great red dragon the accuser of the brethren, the ancient serpent, the one that came to Adam and Eve and seduced him and tripped him up. That's your enemy. 
that is your enemy. And that is why it's so important, uh, folks, to uh, to enter in to this move of the Spirit where God is reverse engineering the fall. And what is happening is that red dragon is being defeated before your very eyes and, and your heart is being defeated before your eyes. It's kind of like Pharaoh, the great dragon. If you go into, I believe, Ezekiel 29 or Ezekiel 30, God says he's going to put a hook in the jaws of Pharaoh, the great dragon, and he is going to pull him up out of the Nile, right? And all the fish of his scales are going to stick to him. Well, the first time I had seen that particular verse in Ezekiel, it was like, I, I, it's like I had a vision. And I saw that, uh, oh man, that all the fish of his scales were all the lies, all the hypocrisies, all the falsehoods, all the false doctrines, all the false leadings, all the false anointings, man, all wrapped up in Pharaoh, the great dragon, you know, as the fish of the Nile stick to his scales. And the Nile represents like the spirit of man, okay? And uh, all these fish that stick to the scales of the dragon, these are the lies that are in men. These are the lies and the falsehood, okay? And uh, once you see that, it's like all of a sudden, man, you got a target. You have a target, a target that has been presented to you by the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, folks, this is what overcomes the great red dragon. It is the feast of unleavened bread. It really is. That's why I've been saying the Feast of Unleavened Bread is God's massive paradigm for reverse engineering the fall. Uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're going through the feast, right? And, and, and again, I know I've explained this several times, but I just want to share it again, all right? You get the leavened bread out of your house, all right? You get all the leaven out of your house. And during this feast, you feast upon... Uh, the matzah, the word of truth. That's what the bread represents, the word of truth, the flesh of the lamb, all right? You feed upon this. The whole time you're in the wilderness, you are feeding on the manna from heaven. And the manna from heaven, people, is what is destroying the dragon. It's what's destroying all the lies. And if you want to see manna from heaven, if you want to experience the manna from heaven, I tell you truly, people, lock yourselves into the book of John. Lock yourselves right there because the book of John is the feast of unleavened bread. That's what it all speaks of is Passover and unleavened bread, the literal inward fulfillment within you, within you. All right. So, when you begin to see these things and, and the concept begins to get lodged in your heart and you're getting a spiritual understanding, uh, the eyes of your heart are really beginning to see. All right. Well, again, back over in Revelation 12, you know, like I say, you know, forgive me if I don't quote things exactly perfectly. OK, but. You know, where it says, now is salvation come. Now is the reign of our God and the authority of his Messiah, right? Um, oh, man. And, and then they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But, folks, you need to understand that the folks who overcame, right, 
These were the ones that were fighting that battle. I know everybody in their brother thinks that this is an angelic army in a different realm that is fighting this battle, but I guarantee you this is you. This is you. You are part of that army. You are the, the, the messengers. The word angel in Greek is, uh, is a word that was never translated. All right? They never translated the word angel. They just left it angel. All right? But the word angel means messenger. Messenger, right? Well, a messenger can be a man or it can be a, a heavenly being. John the Baptist was called the messenger of the covenant. All right. So John the Baptist, as a man, was was also called the angel of the covenant, the messenger of the covenant, the angel of the covenant. So you, you can't be super strict uh, in, in, in this word angel. Uh, the gospel is also called the evangel, the ev angel, uh, the message, the message. All right. And evangelists are actually messengers. True evangelists are. They're actually messengers. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't mean to get off track with that or anything like that. But as you go through the wilderness and as the feast of unleavened bread is being fulfilled within you, all right, that dragon is being defeated. Not will be, is being defeated. All right, it is being defeated. And you're being prepared right? You are being prepared. So uh, in the day that you cross the Jordan, folks, in the day you cross the Jordan and you enter into the land, you know, go back and read uh, and, and read Joshua. What happened when they crossed the Jordan? What did they do before Jericho ever came down, people? They were circumcised. Joshua had to circumcise the people again, all right? They went through the feast of unleavened bread and circumcision first before they ever marched against Jericho. Okay, think about that. So I, I want to share with you again real briefly here what is meant when, uh, when it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. All right, again, where is the blood of the Lamb, people? Where is it? Where did Yahshua leave his blood? All right, this is a no-brainer. He left his blood and he poured out his blood from Gethsemane to Calvary. You want to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. This is the arena where that happens, and it is called the cross. All right, that's how you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And again, I'm going to tell you truly, people, the blood of the Lamb transfigured the cross. It is no longer a tree of death, but it has become a tree of life. This is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. This is how you obtain the kingdom. This is how you obtain the redemption. This is how you obtain the great restoration. This is how you obtain the tree of life. All right? This is how you do it. There is no other way. This is the way. It is the narrow way, right? And the narrow way is the way of the cross, right? And again, I'm going to remind you again, Yahshua says, unless you pick up the cross and follow me, you are not worthy to be my disciple, okay? And I'm telling you, 
there has been such a horrific misunderstanding about the cross. I mean, I understand people that uh, when, when, when folks just in their inner man, if they don't in their in their inner man, because I, I know that I did too. There's trepidation there when you are considering the cross. There is trepidation. This is serious business. This is serious business. This is not a game. This is not a joyride. It's you know get that concept right out of your right out of your head. There is great joy. There is great joy, but the cross itself is not a joyride, people. It is the agony and the ecstasy, the agony and the ecstasy. And I want to share something also with you um, that in his journey, as you as you make your decision and you ponder these things and you think about these things and you go before God and you pray about it and he's going to say, yeah, pick it up, obviously. Right. But as you do. But as you pick it up and you follow the lamb wherever he goes, you are going to find people that you are thrust into portions of the prophets or you are thrust into portions of, uh, of the Exodus or portions of, uh, of Joshua. And it, it, it's almost as though it is a difficult thing to explain and I hope I can do it for you. It is though you are walking out, all right? You are walking out certain portions. And one of the portions, folks, that as you pick up the cross and you follow him, one of the portions that you are going to step into is Isaiah 53. Uh, I'm not saying all of it, right? But there are portions of it that you will experience that will become the word of your testimony. And the word of your testimony, people, is the mill thaw. It is the mill thaw. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And, I, and I've explained and I've testified the definition of mill thaw many, many, many times. But the mill thaw is the power, the essence, the substance, the manifestation. You know, I can go on and on and on. The wonder, the glory, the majesty of the living God, all of these things are contained in that term milthaw or in that term word, what it really means, okay? So like I say, you're going to find yourself, and obviously you are going to find yourself thrust into portions of Matthew, portions of John, not all at the same time, but you're going to notice that this is where you are at. So why people end up having Job trials, man, they've been thrust into the book of Job, right? And fortunately, you know, you have Job, you have Job to see, you know, to, to, to see how the situation goes, right? What Job had to endure, right? And there are those of you that are going to have to endure, you know, similar things, right? Uh, it, it doesn't mean that is the be all and the end all. But I tell you, folks, there are hot, hot, hot fires to go through on the way. And these are good things because after every hot fire you go through, you get this magnificent visitation from the Son of God. I mean, you can almost look forward to these fiery trials because you know as you endure the trial, man, you are looking at, oh man, here comes Yahshua, here comes the visitation, right? As you obtain the victory in that fiery trial. And uh, and you can certainly understand why James says, count it all joy, man, when you fall into various trials, right? 
you know, knowing that the perfecting of your faith is going to bring forth the crown of life. So, anyway, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this off here. I got I got a lot to say on these things, but um, this this is enough for now. Anyway, so uh, this is Michael. This has been the Blood Walk, and uh, and I'll be talking to you again in a couple of days. Bye bye.